you have a, a leather strap in your Bible, you might just want to take that and put that in the Gospel of John. We'll be in John for a while. As we're starting our sermon, a couple of uh, quick notes about the overall Gospel of John. First, it is the Gospel according to John. It is not um, John's Gospel. It's the Gospel according to John. And that's important to say because there's only one Gospel. There's one name under heaven by which man may be saved. Uh, there's one truth, one faith, one Lord. And the, there's one Gospel. And so each of the what we call the Gospels, are, they're, they're biographies of Jesus. One uh, writer has called them a theography of Jesus. And uh, they're all telling the story of Jesus. And the gospel uh, is coming from their perspective, but they're all preaching the same gospel. So it's the gospel according to John. And the gospel is like a diamond. And when we look at the diamond, we can see from the different faces of the diamond different perspectives that shed light from different ways. It's a, it's a prism that reveals. And so when we have all four Gospels together, uh, we get the whole Christ. And so there is one Gospel, and yet the, that God has seen fit for the church to give us the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel according to John. Um, John is uh, a an somewhat intimidating book to preach. I was telling Alex Folsom about that this week. And um, the, uh, uh, John Calvin said that the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, t- show us Jesus and his body, but the Gospel of John shows us the soul of Jesus. That there's something about the Gospel of John that gives us a picture of Jesus that complements, certainly complements, doesn't contradict the other Gospels, and yet um, it, it takes us to new heights in our understanding of Christ. The Gospel of John is written to us, he tells us at the end of the book, so that we may believe. And that's an important thing to keep in mind as we're walking through the Gospel of John, because the word believe shows up in almost every passage in the Gospel of John. Um, and the word believe is in present tense. So it's not just so that you may start believing, but it's so that you may continue believing in the highs and the lows of life and uh, as you, for the young and for the old, for the new Christian, for the old Christian, older Christian, sorry, for those who are going through it and those who've been through it and those who don't know what it is yet, the Gospel of John is for you. And we'll see that the Gospel of John has many layers. Hopefully, as we're walking through this, wherever you are at in your spiritual life, each layer, uh, each passage will speak to you. Um, the Gospel of John defies categorization. It's infuriating because it's not really a narrative, at least not in the same way the other Gospels are. It's not re- it doesn't really have the same kind of ethical teaching that Jesus gives in the other Gospels. Um, his ethical teaching is, on the one hand, it's simple, and on the other, it's, it's complex. I was reading a book that said the Gospel of John is a, a poetry through narrative. And so the Gospel of John it defies categories because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ defies categories uh, because you can't put Jesus into a box. And in the same way, the Gospel of John gives us that picture of Jesus. You might not know this, but um, the Gospel of John is written in a number of different styles. And so the best way to preach it is inconsistent. So what I mean by that is there are going to be some times where you're going to think we are going at a snail's pace. Can we please speed up? Are we there yet? And then there are going to be some, and that, maybe you'll feel that way this morning. And there will be some weeks where you'll say, can we slow down? You just did 75 verses. And I'm sorry, I'm just trying to preach the Bible as, as it is. And so uh, there will be times where it's feeling very slow and times where it's feeling fast. We'll be in it for a while, but we'll punctuate it 
with a couple of other um, series and, and just to give us r- refreshment. Um, one, one last thing before we get into our, our specific text for this morning. I, I don't know if you know this about the Gospel of John. It is particularly beloved by churches that have um, historically suffered a great deal of persecution. I tell the story of um, my, uh, one of my professors um, for my, uh, the seminar that I took with him, uh, Dr. Weinrich. Um, one of the smartest people I've ever known. And he was uh, for a long time served as a missionary in Latvia um, after the, the Soviets left Latvia. He for a long time served there for the Evangelical Lutheran Church there. And he um, for a long time served there and was kind of the head of their seminary there and his pastor in the community there. And um, he got the contract to write a commentary for the Gospel of John. And he's gotten through two volumes of that commentary. And if he lives for another 20 years. He might get through the third volume, but uh, he was telling the, the church in Latvia that he'd gotten this contract to write the commentary in the Gospel of John. And this old woman who had been through the persecutions that the Soviets had uh, inflicted on the Latvian people said, what makes you think you're holy enough to write a commentary on the Gospel of John? So When the elders asked me to preach through one of the four Gospels that wasn't Matthew, Mark, or Luke, (laughs) I felt a little bit of trepidation, but by God's grace, uh, we'll get through this. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father in heaven, one more time as we approach your word, we pray that you would give us eyes to see that you would make us to see the light, that you'd help us to walk in the light as he is in the light. Father, would you remove the scales from our eyes that we might behold all the glory that you have for us in this book of the Bible. We thank you for the ways that it's spoken to Christians throughout the ages. We pray that as you've been faithful to use this gospel for the last 2,000 years, that you would continue to do so in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our marriages, as we're raising children, in our workplaces, at our church. Would you continue to minister to us through the Gospel of John? I pray this in the name of your Son, who is the Word. Amen. It was one of the darkest days of my life. I remember getting to the house and the door was locked and climbing in through the window and seeing the body of my friend there lifeless. And as I continued to wade with his friends and his family into the, the senseless, time, un, uh, untimely death of this young man, I, I, and I began to think and reflect of my experience with him, how how I had met him and discipled him and baptized him and now was doing his funeral just for a man who's 18, 19, 20 years of age. And I waded into the family as I was helping the family grieve this loss and what a family that looked 
to all intents and purposes from the outside that was normal and that was healthy and seemed to be thriving. And yet once we penetrated, once that dark day shattered the illusion of stability that this family had enjoyed, and I began to see all the the brokenness and the darkness face to face to confront those who had wronged each other to try to speak life into that situation it was one of the darkest seasons of my life and it, it's things like that as a pastor that make me remember that this world is full of darkness and maybe there are some of you who are here and this room, and you, you feel the darkness seeping into your life like, like a winter chill that, that seeps into your bones. You, you can feel the darkness. Maybe some of you, you feel the darkness in your own heart, and you, you cry out with, like Paul, that the things that you want to do, you do not do, and the things that you do, you do not want to do. Maybe see, some of you feel the darkness and things that have been done to you, those that you've trusted, those that you've heard and listened to have betrayed your trust maybe some of you feel the darkness at your workplace and it's hard to maintain a christian presence there maybe some of you feel it infecting your relationships this world is a dark place and if god is a god of love as we've said that he is this morning if god is a god of life if god is a god of light he is a god who wages war on the darkness and the account of John is an account of God's war against the darkness of this fallen world. God's war against the darkness of the, this fallen, broken cosmos, that God is in the business of shining the light in a dark world. And God shines the light by coming down himself. This, these first five verses give for us a thematic overview of the Gospel of John and much like a, a musical score at the beginning of a movie uh, brings up notes that recur again and again and sound and pattern that you'll hear again and again. That So these first five verses give us three themes, three themes that are important for the Gospel of John, even though they don't always occur. It's the themes of the Word and the life and the light, the Word, the life, and the light. And, and through this, we're going to see that that. God conquers the darkness, that darkness does not overcome the the word, the life, and the light. John is, of course, in the beginning. He, he says, in the beginning was the word, and that word is the word logos. And in Greek, logos means word. Um, and in Greek, there, there was a whole philosophical background invested in this word logos. And um, if you've ever read anything by Plato, and if you haven't, it's okay, it's not worth your time. But if you have, you know that uh, Plato talked about how there, the, by the word that the, the, the gods brought all things into existence, and he called that word demiurge. And so for a, a Greek-speaking person who read these first five chapters, he would have said, the, the word, I know about the word. And, and for the Old Testament Jews, the Old Testament Jews would have said, we know about the word too, because the Old Testament speaks about the word, God creating all things by the power of his word. For example, in Psalm 33, 6, God says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. And so why does John use this word, word? Why does he use logos to open up his gospel? Why does John uh, start off his, his story of Jesus this way? And I, I, 
would say that there's a, a couple of reasons. John here is doing something very similar to what Paul does on Mars Hill. When Paul says to the Athenians, I can see that you're very religious. I see that you worship a, the idol to the unknown God. Um, let me tell you about that unknown God. And John, Paul is just working off of the uh, common touch point that he has with the, the people. And so John is doing much the same thing. John is saying, I, I, you, you think you know about the word? Let me tell you about the word. And John actually does this in the beginning of John. Uh, he does this at the beginning of his letter, 1 John, which is not the same thing as John, but 1 John. And he does this at the beginning of Revelation. And three of his major works, John opens up by talking about the word. The word, the logos. And John here is, of course, probably mostly drawing on the Old Testament imagery, but he's trying to provide a common place where uh, the Jew and the Greek can come and they can hear about the life of Christ. And John is, has an apologetic edge. He wants people to believe in this word. And of course, John, as a first century Jew, is um, writing and drawing consciously on the Old Testament language. And so we can see uh, a number of things. Two different times you'll see here in these first few verses that the word was in the beginning. The word was in the beginning. And it's not a mistake that when you read that, you probably think of the first few verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's on purpose. John is quoting that and alluding to that. And he's saying that when God said, let us make the heavens and the earth, and God speaks all things into existence, that speaking is the word who John is describing. In fact, when he says in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made, John is emphasizing that this word was the creative agent by which God brought all things into existence. He's being extremely emphatic. It's like he's saying all things were made through him. And by the way, there's nothing that hasn't been made by him. Everything comes from him. And John is emphasizing that this word is in the beginning, that this word is the means by which God brings all things into existence. Uh, In verse 1, when John says, and the word was with God, um, and then he says the word was God, John is using language that, that identifies the word as a person. And so this word is a person, and he, he has all the access to the divine nature of God himself. So not only is he with God, but he also is God. And that's not to say that God is schizophrenic, but rather John is building the basic building blocks for a doctrine of the Trinity that he'll flesh out as, as the Gospel of John goes on. And nothing that I have said so far, a Jew in the first century reading the Gospel of John would have disagreed with. They, I mean, they knew their Old Testament. They knew that you could read and you could say, it seems like that God speaks all things into existence. God says by his word, and you can read Jewish philosophers of this period who use language very similar, that, 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 that there's apparently a creative agency within God, and it's a somewhat appropriate to ascribe personhood to him, and first century Jews would not have disagreed with this. But here's where John, they thought, was going off the reservation. Here's where they thought there's something in Denmark. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. To think that that God was, was uh, there, that to believe in a com- what we might call a complex monotheism, that within God there's multiple persons, was not, was not out of the range of possibility for first century Jews. But what was blasphemous 
was the idea that this word would become one of us, that God would robe himself in human flesh, that God would come down and tabernacle among us by becoming a man. What, what, is, what it would, was blasphemous for the first century Jews was not that there was a word, but who John identifies the word as. This word is Jesus Christ would have been viewed as heretical and blasphemous, and yet it was true that Jesus came and tabernacled among us and dwelt among us, that not only within God did God create all things by the power of his word, but that God came down, he sent his word down to dwell among humans, would have been viewed as strange and confusing and blasphemous and heretical, but for you and I who come to know Jesus, who've embraced him, who've called him Lord and Savior, we cannot help but say it is true. This is the word. And we're told in verse 4 that the, uh, that the word in him was life. Was life. The question is, of course, what do we mean by that word life? Do we mean that, he's, uh, that he gives breath to all living things, that all things uh, are, are, find their life in him? And of course, that, that's true. We wouldn't disagree theologically with that. But that's, I don't think that's what John is referring to. You know, John uses this word uh, life or uh, live some 40 plus times in his gospel. And only twice does he mean in kind of a just normal live way. Uh, again and again and again you hear... Uh, the Gospel of John say things like this in John three fourteen through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And again in John 20, 5, 24 through 25, it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who, has, who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John six forty. for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him on the last day. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What John means when he says in him was life is that in him was eternal life. And not just kind of vague and afterlife presence, no. But what he means is in him is eternal resurrection life. That the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man and they will rise and they will yet live. The, the point that John is making is that in him comes eternal life. It comes resurrection 
That this resurrection is it comes from him, that the, the, the defeat of the grave, the defeat of the darkness, the defeat of this broken world only comes through him. In him was life. In him was life. And of course, Jesus has that, can give that life because he died. Because Jesus took our death upon himself. And of course, the Gospel of John paints this picture of of Christ as the sacrificial lamb, much like the Passover lamb that that, uh, was slaughtered and and the blood was put over the doorpost so that the people of Israel might cross through, uh, might uh, escape through the night unscathed while the the country of Egypt lost the firstborn of every family. So Jesus is called often uh, the lamb. We see this a little bit later in the first chapter when John the Baptist testifies to Jesus that there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That because Jesus died, you and I can live. That's an important feature of the Gospel of John is that Jesus gives life. An equally important feature of the Gospel of John is that if Jesus is the Word, if He pre-exists before time with the Father, and if He is the God of life, that the grave cannot defeat Him. If He really is who He said He is in John 8, that before Abraham was, I am, then I don't care what grave you put Him in, I don't care what, uh, what, how far under He is, I don't care what you do to Him, that you will not be able to keep Him dead. If he is the God of life, he rose again from the dead. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life. Our our third word for today is light. Light. Because that life we learn was the light of men. What is that phrase, the light of men, that verse 4 says? What does it mean that that life is the light of men? Well, we can say that it's the life that gives light to men. It's the life that shines the light on men, that makes men to see. Uh, Throughout the Gospel of John, one of the ways that faith is pictured is to see. So, So true faith is seeing, whereas... Unbelief is spiritual blindness. That to see is to believe. So we see in um, John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John twelve thirty five through thirty six, so Jesus said to them, "The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you." The one who walks in darkness and the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Uh, my favorite story from the Gospel of John is John 9. John 9. In John 9, you, you see the story of uh, Jesus healing a blind man. And I, and I love it because, because it's kind of weird, right? So Jesus spits into the ground. He makes mud with his saliva, which my mom told me I was not allowed to do. And then he puts that mud on the eyeballs of the blind man. And that's creation imagery. It's kind of what we've seen here that Jesus re- is being cast as, as the word by whom all things come into existence. And he, he heals the sight. And Jesus kind of checks out 
And so the blind man just knows that he's been seen. And the Pharisees know who it is, but they want to get confirmation. They want to get testimony. So they haul the blind man in. His parents are afraid. They're like, we don't know. who. We just know that he's born blind, but now he can, he can see. And, and the, the, the Pharisees are questioning him. And uh, the, the blind man says, what, what, do you want to become his disciples? Just poking the bear. That's what he's doing. And so they cast him out. And, and here's, the, here's the irony that John is using in that episode is that the one who was blind is the one who sees, but the, one who, the ones who could see were actually blind. And Jesus, of course, appears to him and to ask him if he believes. And he said, will you show him to me that, I'm, that I can be his disciple? And Jesus says, I who stand before you am he. To, to believe is to see. To see is to believe in the gospel of John. And if someone doesn't see, it's not because Jesus isn't the light. It's because they're blind. And that's the imagery that John is using. Whereas if someone does see Jesus, they believe in him. But if someone has sight, if they believe, if they can see the light, they will walk in the light. You'll notice that from what we read in John 12. It says, while you, have the, while you have the light, less darkness overtake Walk while you have the light, less darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Again in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And John three sixteen through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. To walk with him is to walk in the light. If you see him, you can't help but walk in the light. First John says it this way, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he in the, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That the, the, Jesus says, if you believe that I'm the light, if you see that I am the light, then you will walk in the light. You won't stumble and stagger around as someone who can't see. But you'll walk on the path of life because the life gives light. We'll see this again next week when it says this in chapter 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To believe in this light, to see this light, means that we will walk in the light means that we will follow his ways because we have seen in him the glory of the Father. And then verse 5, it wraps this whole first five verses together. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, a couple of really important things about that. Um, Verse 5, where it says the light shines, you'll notice that shines is in the present tense. And John, the author of the Gospel of John, loves to use the present tense. That's very strange. When you're reading narrative, you think past tense. John loves the present tense. So when he uses the present tense, it's important. It says the light shines. He doesn't say the light was shining in the past tense. He doesn't say the light shone or shined He says the light shines, present tense. And the darkness has not overcome it, past tense. So the light is continuing to shine. The light is continuing to radiate the glory of the Father. The light is continuing to display to all the way of the Father. The light is continuing to point to all where forgiveness and healing and cleansing from sin can be found. And the darkness, past tense, has not overcome it which I don't take to mean that there's no more darkness in the world. But what I take it to mean is this, that the worst the darkness can muster, the worst the darkness can do, was taken out on the cross. I mean, what, what, what more power does darkness have than to kill the Son of God? And all the, the guilt, all the shame, all the brokenness, all the deception, all the betrayal this world can muster was heaped and put onto God, the Son, at Golgotha. And the light still shines. The darkness through Everything that it could muster at the sun, at the light, it tried to smother it out, it tried to stamp it out, it tried to squelch it out, it tried to put everything, anything it could to cover it, and the light still shines. The light was not like if you've ever done a bonfire in the rain and you pour a bunch of lighter fluid on it. I've heard other people do that. And it flares up and then it dies down. No, the light still shines. It shone then and it is still shining. It never stops shining, which means this. Whatever the darkness that you have seen and experienced, whatever the darkness you see in your own heart, your own family, 
in your own background, whatever the, the guilt it is that you think you can't possibly clean off or, or the, the sin that you're enmeshed in that you don't think there's any way to escape or whatever the, the darkness is that will weigh you down so that you don't think you can press on till tomorrow, the light still shines and the darkness has not overcome it. How does God conquer the darkness? The light shines in the darkness. And even though this world has thrown its very best weapons at him, he will not stop shining. The Gospel of John is a gospel that shows us again and again and again. Despite all the unbelief, Despite all the brokenness, despite all the doubt, the guilt, the judgment, the betrayal that this world can muster, the light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. So let me help us apply this very practically to our lives. Um, number one, you need to search for the light. Maybe you're here today and you are hearing that you're like, that is not, I do not walk in the darkness or in the light. <laughs> that that description of what you just described faith is, is to see Christ in all of his glory and all of his brilliance. That's not me. You should search for the light. If I, if I were you, I would think that the fact that this gospel has been a source of strength, a source of encouragement, a source of enlightenment, a source of discovery for the past 2,000 years for some of the most brilliant people this world has ever produced and yet can still speak to the simplest of us would tell me that the Gospel of John is a good place to start. If you're looking for the light, if you're looking for the true light, I think you are in the right place the gospel of john is a fantastic place to start i would also say this we should see the light if you're if you're here this morning and you are trying to put cover cover up your eyes you're trying not to look at the light i would say do the opposite take the scales off your eyes see christ for all he is believe in him and put your faith in him confess your sins to him because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins So look for the light, see the light, and keep seeing the light. You'll remember that the Gospel of John is written not so that you can start believing. The Gospel of John is so that you may, present tense, believe. Whatever the, the brokenness that you are walking through in your life, whatever the darkness, whatever the valley that you are in, you need to keep looking at the light to keep seeing christ for all that he is to keep seeing him for all his glory to keep as we talked about last year stirring up the coals so that you and i might behold him in all of his glory we, we need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves again and again we need to keep reminding ourselves of all that christ has done for us of all that christ has done for others we need to keep seeing the light i'll say this we need to walk in the light. 
If you see the light, if you see Christ for all he is, then you can't keep walking in the darkness. You can't keep doing the deeds of darkness. That more and more as, as Christ becomes brighter and more brilliant to our eyes, we should more and more see when our feet step off the path and want to correct that so that we can walk in his ways. And what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, on the one hand, it means to believe in him. But the one, the one really clear ethical commandment Jesus gives in the Gospel of John is, as I have loved you, so also you must love one another. So what does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to walk in his ways, to, to see Christ, that as we see that he has loved us, that we might love one another? that we might not be malicious or hateful or brutal towards one another or undercutting or backbiting or passive-aggressive or even aggressive, but rather that we should love one another. What does it mean to walk in the light that we would love one another? I would also say this, number five, it also means that we need to confess our sins. We saw that in 1 John. If anyone says that he does not have, uh, if Uh, If anyone says that he does not have sin, he deceives himself, and the truth is not in us. If you're a, a, a human being, you have sin. And when it flares up, when you've done something you feel sorry for, you you need to confess that. I had someone, a family member, call me this week to apologize for something I didn't really think much of. He said, Oh, you're not he said if you're not if you don't weren't offended by it i probably don't need to apologize I said no if you're if you felt like you need to apologize you probably need to apologize that we should continue to walk a lifestyle of confession and repentance we should continue to be gracious when people confess their sins and repent to us to be lavish in forgiveness because as i have loved you so you also must love one another and then i would finally say this The darkness cannot and will not and has not overcome the light. Whatever it is in your life that you are wrestling with right now, or the brokenness that this world can muster, just know that it threw more at Christ and it did not overcome him. That it threw all that it had at him And it was not able to stamp him out or squelch him down. The light still shines in the darkness. And if you feel like you are a ship that has lost sight of shore, look to that lighthouse. If you feel that you have wandered off the track, look to that lamp. If you feel that you are stuck in the darkness, look to that light because the darkness will not, has not, and cannot overcome it whatever the betrayal, whatever the abuse, whatever the brokenness, whatever the the sin in your heart or in your life, it will not and cannot and has not overcome the darkness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a light, a light to shine in our path, a light to guide us home, Father, we thank you that you have shown us yourself through your Son. We thank you that no matter what the worst that Satan and sin and this broken world can do, it was not enough to stamp him out. 
It was not enough to crush him completely. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to walk in the light as he is in the light. We, help that you, we pray that you would help us to see the light, to believe in the light, to keep believing in the light. Father, we pray that you would help us to not be weighed down by gloom and despair with how broken and dark this world is, but that you would renew in us a wonder and an awe that the word of God would come down and tabernacle amongst us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.